that was quite uh, an introduction, actually, into our subject for tonight, which is uh, surprising. Uh, there are some subjects in the Bible <clears throat> that are fun to preach. <clears throat> Not all Scripture is equal in the sense of um, joy to preach. Um, all Scripture is, in a sense, equal in that, that God inspired it. <clears throat> but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're equally easy uh, to preach. Uh, some, some are fun. Some are uh, rather awkward. And we'll be dealing with the latter tonight. So as, as uh, Rick gave you the story there, of those, that the couple whose marriage was saved uh, and he was unfaithful, um, tonight our scriptures are a warning against adultery. And that's the content of chapter 5 that we're going to cover tonight. Before we do so, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, we are thankful tonight for your word, for all of your words. Uh, we know that they're important. We know that there are times when we might uh, want to gloss over certain things or skip certain things because they're, they might be awkward or they might be things that we don't like to hear or they might be uh, seem backwards in our culture today. But God, I, I pray tonight that you would give us ears to hear and give us understanding of, of the scriptures. And I ask for your help as I preach. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5 tonight. And as we come to this book, uh, we realize that, that God is not silent on the subject of sexuality and the biblical ethics of it. Um, not surprisingly, uh, this, this topic is relevant. It, it was relevant then, as in Solomon's day, and it is quite relevant uh, today, uh, even in our own country, as of late, uh, we see um, the, the rise of what's been called the Me Too movement, which has given uh, needed attention, shed needed light on the misconduct, the abuse, the immorality, even the criminal activity of, uh, namely, many men in powerful positions, uh, men who um, used sexuality in an improper way, were unfaithful and inappropriate with women, made terrible choices, and endure, even now, grave consequences of their choices. It's true what Numbers 32, verse 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out, right? And for years and years and years, many of these people had lived certain lives and may have seemed to be getting away with it, uh, but we know that Nothing ever is gotten away with, not really, not with the Lord. Uh, Solomon speaks multiple times to his sons about this matter. Actually, in the next three chapters, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, he takes time in each one of those chapters to warn his son or sons uh, about this matter of adultery. It seems like it's uh, worth our attention tonight, but, but sadly, and any of us who know our Bible, the irony is that Solomon uh, was not such a great man, was he? He, he had uh, massive, uh, a magnificent uh, failure in this arena, as did his father, King David. So Solomon giving the words of wisdom, there's still words of wisdom, even if he may have not heeded all the wisdom himself. This evening, chapter 5, the primary context is adultery. That is what Solomon is writing to his son about. However, there certainly are other 
sexual dangers that exist in our world today. Uh, therefore, this teaching ought not to be just relegated to the isolated idea of adultery, but rather uh, the, the biblical ethic uh, or the biblical principles of sexuality should be applied into all areas uh, of sexual sin, danger, and temptation. And we say that because whether you're married or not, these truths are still true. Um, immorality in whatever form must be avoided. A holiness, whether in the bond of marriage or in the gift of singleness, must be pursued. And so as Solomon writes to his son, specifically warning him about idolatry or adultery, uh, we want to be aware that some of us may be here tonight, that that's not a, a grave concern uh, necessarily for you. However, there are other dangers, there are other temptations, there are other sins that these truths certainly can apply to. So tonight I would like to look at, at what I think we can see as six principles that Solomon shows to his son that he wants him to know. And for us, as we read the text tonight, what God, as our Father, wants us as his children to know. And the first one is to know the dangers of an immoral woman. The dangers of an immoral woman. Verses 1 through 6 read like this. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Now, first of all, Solomon says what he says frequently to his son, and frequently what parents might say to their children, listen, listen to me. We, we saw that in, in chapter 4. Even this attentive, be attentive to my, my wisdom. He says in chapter 4, verse 20, that very same thing. Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my understanding. Uh, that incline, we said last time when we looked at chapter 4, that that's, that's a bending of the ear. It's a leaning in, extending your ear to hear. When someone says, can I bend your ear? They, they, they want you to listen to them. That's what Solomon is saying to his son. Listen to me. It's for your benefit that you may keep discretion, you may make the right choice, and your lips may guard knowledge, and you would know the right things. And then he would, goes on to the caution in verse 3 concerning the forbidden woman or the immoral woman, the woman who, who dripped like honey, meaning uh, she seems sweet, right? She seems sweet. Uh, her, her speech is smoother than oil, appealing. It looks good. But he goes on, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Bitter as wormwood, that's a, a leafy plant that's known for its, its bitterness. Seems sweet, seems appealing, but she is bitter. And he goes on, a, a sharp as a two-edged sword. Destruction, pain. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She is not to be trusted. This woman is not to be trusted. Why? Because she has no concern 
for the reality of the hell that she is headed toward, this Sheol that she is headed for. In fact, in the New King James, some of your Bibles say that her feet lay hold of, her steps lay hold of hell or Sheol. She, she, is, she is headed for it. She is a deadly woman. She looks one way, but she is a deadly woman. Verse 6, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. Um, another version would say this, her ways are varied so as to prevent your knowledge of her true character and so of true happiness. Solomon is speaking wisdom to his sons and saying that this type of woman is deceitful. She's not what she looks like. She's not what she claims to be. What you see isn't true. And we ought to be very aware of how easily we are deceived. Solomon is warning his son, know the dangers of the immoral woman. She seems like someone who is sweet, and yet she is actually deadly. He goes on in verse 7 to tell him to know the command, the command that, that he is to obey. Now, sons, now, O oh oh sons, now he, now he goes to plural here, right? So he, this is the first time we see a plural, so he's speaking to more than one, or children in some of your Bibles. Listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Right? So he just said to listen to him in verse 1, and now he's saying it again. I think he's trying to stress that the, the son needs to pay attention, as sons uh, commonly need to be reminded to, to listen. I have two, right? Commonly need to be reminded to listen. Um, Verse 8 tells us the command. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Basically, stay away from her. Don't go near her, right? Stay away from her. Don't, don't even go near her door. Like, this is, this is uh, not, not just don't. It's stay clear, Stay clear. Recognize that she is, is a deceiver, and you can trip up. You can get tripped up. Solomon warns his son again in chapter uh, 6, verses 25 and 24 and 25, chapter 7, verse 5, concerning this idea of this adulterous woman. Um, we ought to be people who are able to help others notice when they might be making a bad choice. One of the beauties of community, one of the beauties of friendship, is that there are people in our life who could help us make better choices. Solomon is, is speaking to his son as a, as a father to his child, but you, know, you and I can speak to one another as brothers and sisters. When we see one of, one of our brothers or sisters moving in the wrong direction or partaking or spending time with or engaging with a person like this, that we ought to be ready to speak to them. Solomon tells his son on the front end. Now, this isn't necessarily something the son is literally doing at that moment, and he is speaking specifically about a certain woman that he needs to avoid. He's giving him a principle on the front end. That kind of woman is no good. Watch out for this type of woman. Stay away from her. Don't even go near her house. And he accompanies this command with a list of consequences if he were to disobey. Solomon wants his son to know the consequences of infidelity. 
to, to know that, that if, you, if you are to go this direction, if you are to forsake, and this is, again, we're, we're, uh, we're talking about the, 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 the concept of not just a, a, a man and a woman. We're talking about the, the breaking of a, a marital uh, covenant with another woman, with, with this, this adulterous woman. Adultery would indicate that, but let's be clear uh, of what we're actually suggesting here. This idea of infidelity is the idea of, of a marriage being broken, the covenant being broken. One or both of the people involved would be breaking a marriage covenant. John MacArthur calls this list uh, the, the high price of infidelity. As we look at verses 9 through 14, we see the list. Verse 9, lest you give your honor to others. When we engage, when one would engage in adultery, they're giving their honor away. Verse 9 also, lest your years to the, um, lest your years to the merciless. You're wasting your, your, your years. Verse 10, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and, and your labors go to the house of the foreigner. You're squandering, squandering your strength, squandering your, your work. And at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed. Yikes. Verse 12, and you say, so the, son, the, the father is saying, this is what you'll say. If you partake in that, if you, if you go down that road, this is what you're going to say. How I hated discipline. You're going to say that of yourself. How I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. A life wasted. A life absolutely wasted. What God meant for enjoyment is lost if this is the direction that, that the son chooses. He, he's, given, he's given it over. He's squandered it. It's been said life is choices, and choices have consequences. Therefore, we're to make the right choices. And in a sense, Solomon is saying that to his son. Here, here's the reality. There, there, is, there are choices to be made, and I'm telling you the right choice to make and the consequences that come with the wrong choice. You can make choices. You're absolutely entitled to make choices, but you don't get to choose the consequences of the choices, do you? And God, in his, his kindness to you and me, has given us a glimpse of what these kind of choices uh, lead to. What are, what are the consequences? If you just look over into chapter 6, where he's warning his son about this too, in verse 27, he says this, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, None who touches her will go unpunished. Don't think you can get out of it. Don't think you're going to be able to partake in this and there not be a consequence. Solomon is saying there is a consequence. Don't believe a lie that you can somehow get through it and not have a consequence. Thank God that that marriage was restored that Rick talked about. But don't be deceived. There's great consequence for that, that couple. That they carry that. That he carries that. That's a stain on his life and a, and a hurdle in their marriage. God is a reconciler, and he is a healer. That is true. And yet, there are still consequences to our choices. Solomon is revealing to his son what loss 
and what regret comes with infidelity. Warren Wearsby says it this way, the most expensive thing in the world is sin. The most expensive thing in the world is sin. But there is a better way. There's a better way than adultery. There's a better way than infidelity. And that's what Solomon goes on to tell his son in verses 15 through 20. He says to know the wife of your youth. We're using the word know here in the biblical context or idea of knowing their wife. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Verses 7 through 14 are contrasted here by showing that the, the joys of what it means to be faithful in marriage what it means to find satisfaction in your wife. One writer says it this, verses 7 through 14 say, says this, keep your hands off every other woman. Verses 15 through 20 says, keep your hands on your wife. Now, when you read that, uh, you probably understand that there's a lot of metaphors happening when I read those, those five or six verses there. And here's the kind of awkward part, right? Um, Solomon is using language that has, uh, as euphemisms, euphemisms for sexual relations. When he says, drink water from your own cistern, that that is a a euphemism for the sexual relationship. Solomon here is talking about a husband and wife in their participation together in what is meant to be for and only for the bond of a covenant marriage. The cistern in the well referred to the wife. He is saying, find your satisfaction in your wife. The streams of water in verse 16 are referring to illegitimate children that would come out of a uh, harlotry or infidelity. Warren Wearsby summarizes all of this like, like this. Solomon compares enjoying married love to drinking pure water from a fresh well. But committing sexual sin is like drinking polluted water from the gutter or sewer. Sex within marriage is beautiful, a beautiful river that brings life and refreshment. But sex outside of marriage is a sewer that defiles everything it touches. Verses 17 through 19, we can see this, that God has a plan for our satisfaction. And it is one wife, one man, one husband, one wife together for life. Not, not with others also. <laughs> one alone. The wife of your youth is, is simply saying the one that you married when you were young, right? So he's saying stay, stay with her. <laughs> that, that one, the one that you've been married to. Um, John Piper uh, pose this question, how do I know, as somebody were asking him, how do I know if I marry the right person? 
He says the short answer is look at the name on your marriage certificate. <laughs> That's the person. That's the right person. So love your wife. Love, love your husband. Love the one whom you have committed your life to. See, God answers our desire for sexual gratification with the opportunity to be gratified with sexual relations within the bond of marriage. It's not a bad thing. It's meant to be fulfilled, but meant to be fulfilled in the context of what God has called the marriage union, not outside of it. He asks then, why would you chase that, that satisfaction anywhere else? Why would you seek that that uh, intoxication, as the ESV calls it, or infatuation, or this enrapturing anywhere else, with anyone else. Why would you ever think that you're going to get that somewhere outside of the marital union? Why would you ever think that? Solomon is saying God has made a way for, for that satisfaction to be had. It's in the bond of marriage. Why would we think that? Well, because we're tempted to believe something that's not true, Right? We're tempted to believe that, that, that what we don't have is better than what we do. That the woman or the man that's out there is better than the one that's in here. Right? That the one that I'm committed to is somehow less than the one that I'm not committed to. That, that God has, what God has provided is not as good as something that he has not provided. Right? That's the lie. It's covetousness, really. But before we you know, just pass on for that, the truth is that we do this in a whole lot of other areas where we think the grass is greener on the other side. Now, people do it in, in a marital sense, and we, we might be able to see that more clearly. But we do it too. We think that what God has provided for us in, in, in a job or a home or a vehicle or our, our toys or our tools or our, our money, like there's always something better out there for us. Right? That's the same principle that, is a, that, that we see here with this idea that somehow out there is the satisfaction. What God has given to me, I can't be, that, that's not filling me up. I got to go get something else. That's it, a lie. It's absolutely a lie. And the danger is real for you and me too. Solomon is saying to his son, the idea that you can get satisfaction somewhere else, outside of what God's already provided, is an absolute lie. Do not believe it. She is a deceiver. She is a deceiver. That woman is a deceiver. The idea that she could fulfill you is a lie. She may look sweet, but she is deadly. Husbands, know your wife. This is God's design. Solomon moves on to a few closing thoughts in the last three verses. And he says this, to know the omniscience of God. Verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Here Solomon is stating that, that man's ways are before the Lord. They're in the presence of the Lord. Or, or the Latin, right, is coram deo. And before the eyes of the Lord. That, that our life is being lived in the presence of God. That he sees. He sees it all. Read, read uh, Psalm chapter 139, right? And we see that, that God knows all things, that he sees all things. So whereas sexual sin is often thought to be secret sin, here's the memo. <laughs> it's not. It's not a secret to God. He sees all 
things. He knows. Let it be known, the, the omniscient, the, the uh, all-knowing one sees all your ways and he ponders them. And the word ponder here suggests a, a constant, ongoing action that, that he keeps on seeing. He is observing. He is weighing. He is watching. Now, this is, this is two things for us, right? This is both convicting and it's comforting. Now, some of us might think uh, of the first part more than we think of the second part. But it ought to be convicting. It ought to be convicting to know that, the, that God is aware of what you're doing, that your ways are not hidden to him, that your choices are not hidden to him. Now, that, that ought not to lead us to, to fear in the sense of, you know, somehow God is an angry deity up in heaven just waiting to catch us, kind of hiding around the corner till we do something wrong, and then, I gotcha, I, I saw you do it. I saw you, I, I knew you were going to do it. And, and, and get us. That, that's not the point. That's not what Solomon is getting at. Solomon is getting at, know this, there is accountability to what you're doing. That there is someone who knows all, who wants good for you, and he is watching. But this also gives to us a measure of comfort, that God knows. He's one who knows. He knows the struggle. He knows the struggle's real. He knows the temptations that are there. And he's not outside of it. He's not absent. He is present. He is not just watching. He is with you in all of it. When I sin, I do so before the eyes of the Lord. Know that. You might think you're alone. You're not alone. When you sin, you sin before the Lord. And when you resist temptation, you resist temptation before the Lord, that God is there as well. When I obey, he is there. When I sin, he is there. And in every other circumstance, he is present there too. Finally, Solomon expresses the principle of knowing the end, the, the end of the wicked, that is. Sin, sexual sin, may seem relatively harmless, at least to some people might think that, uh, presumably pleasurable to many, culturally accepted, in some places, yet Solomon shares the outcome, and we find that the outcome is not so desirable. <laughs> Whatever pleasure you might think is being achieved there, the outcome outweighs that a hundredfold. Know the end of the wicked. Verse 22, the, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Sin ensnares. Sin holds us down. Don't assume that you can just stop sinning whenever you want. Sometimes we think that. Well, I'll, just, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop that tomorrow. Or I could stop if I wanted to. That's a higher view of yourself that you ought to have. Because what this tells us is that the iniquities of the wicked, this kind of sin, it actually gets a hold of our life. And it actually holds us down, held fast in the cords of sin. Think about that, that picture. Something held by the cords of sin. John chapter 
8, verse 34 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Don't think that you can just all of a sudden say, I'm going to stop. Be aware. But not only is, does sin ensnare, but sin is deadly. Verse 23, he dies for lack of discipline. Refusing instruction, which he calls him to in verse 1, he calls him to in verse 7. Solomon says, if you refuse that discipline, that's when death comes. Refusing instruction leads to destruction. It leads to death. Foolishness, because of his great folly, he's led astray. Foolishness leads us astray. It leads us where we, we don't really want to go. It's not a good place. The immoral woman, the forbidden woman, leads to hell. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've experienced the, the reality of sin holding you, being ensnared by sin. Or maybe you've watched it. Maybe you've seen someone who seems like they just can't do anything different. They just keep going back to it. And you wonder, how could there ever be anything different? Well, thank God there can be. Solomon wants his son to know the end of the wicked, and it is not pretty. Solomon is saying to his son, don't seek satisfaction anywhere else than where God meant you to find it. That's where true satisfaction will come. All other avenues are, are merely a mirage. We too are called to a life of purity and of holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 tells us that very thing. That's the will of God for us, our sanctification. But truth be told, you and I both know, that we too can be tempted. We can be tempted by these same desires. We can be tempted to believe that there is pleasure in other places. Whether it's another person in the context that Solomon is writing, or whether it's on a screen looking at immoral things, and by the way, the statistics on the use of pornography today are just absolutely terrifying. <laughs> that is not a thing that's going away. That's a thing that's here. Talk about secret sin. It's a secret sin. Be it known, it's not secret to the Lord. So whether you seek it in a person or you seek it on a screen or you seek it in your own fantasy of, of ideas of what your life could be. We're all tempted. We can be tempted. But here's what we can know. There was one who was tempted like we were tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That there was one who actually endured the temptations, but did it without sinning. One who was holy. And in his holiness, he is what we so desperately need. A perfect Savior. 
The, the hope for, for any of us, the hope for the one ensnared by sin, the hope for the one who is holding out hope that they, they don't become ensnared by sin is Jesus. He is the one who frees us from the bondage of sin. So that one who is ensnared, there is hope for that one. If you have the Son, you're free. You're free indeed. Jesus frees us from the bonds of sin. It is in and through the holiness of Jesus that we are saved, that we are sanctified, and that we now are sent out to live a holy life to the glory of God and by his grace. Solomon wants his son to live a life that, that, that's honoring to God, that's pure, that's full of satisfaction in the most appropriate way. God wants that for you too. God absolutely wants you to have a good life. He absolutely wants you to have a life full of satisfaction. But it's where we find the satisfaction that matters. It's not just satisfaction in general. John Piper says it this way, we are most, God's most glorified um, when we are most satisfied in him. Right? And so where is our satisfaction actually coming from? It's coming from the Lord and where he has given to, what he has given to us. May we, by grace live a life of holiness. May our relationships, our marriages be a demonstration of faithfulness and holiness unto the Lord. May that be true. May that be true for us. May our church be a place where the marital union is, is lifted up, that people might see something different than what they see elsewhere. May men love their wives well, find their satisfaction in the, their wife instead of anywhere else. May that be true for us. May that be our prayer tonight. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we realize that uh, immorality is nothing new. Adultery is nothing new. We see it early in the Bible. We see it in culture today. We see it in the world. We see it in, our, in the church. God, I pray that even from this room here, that men and women would seek to honor you. In marriages, they'd be marriages of, of, of purity, of holiness. For those with the gift of singleness, Father, they would honor you in that way. God, I pray that uh, we would be a testimony of the beauty of your plan for the covenant marriage for holiness, but we need your help. Thank God, thank you, God, that Jesus Christ has come to be that help. The only way we can do it is because he has. May we go now in faith, following him by grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming tonight. You are dismissed.